Hello, and welcome to The Prepared Parent, the parenting podcast that wants to help you become the parent you want to be through science and the Montessori method. Today I am reviewing Maria Montessori's book, The Child in the Family. We will be covering parenting styles, the child's environment, and the parent or teacher as a guide. These are some basic Montessori principles, so if you're interested in some beginning Montessori theory, please continue listening. If you'd like to understand some parenting styles, some science on that, that's a good episode for you today, too. So, The Child and the Family was a book written by Maria Montessori directed towards the parents of children attending her schools to help them understand her method. I think this is a good beginner Montessori book. It lays out some basic Montessori principles and has a lot of ideas if you'd like to be introduced to a new way of thinking about how to raise your children. It's useful for that. I'll be giving some quotes today and summarizing what I think were the key points of the book. I believe she had three main principles she outlined in the book. The first was, uh, in a word, parenting styles. The second was the environment of the child. And the third was the parent as the guide. So starting with parenting styles. Maria Montessori speaks a lot to authoritarian parents. Perhaps it was a reaction of the time frame she lived in, in the late 1800s, early 1900s, and the strict parenting methods they used at the time. Um, But she is a very strong child advocate in all of her work, and she speaks strongly against parents and society and teachers who believe that in punishing children and controlling children. She speaks against, say, you know, bolting chairs to the ground, among other things. And so she has some quotes um, that are definitely targeted toward authoritarian mindsets. But before we get into that, let's talk about the different parenting styles. So an authoritarian parent is a parent who is very, very strict with their children. They, you know, they're very famous for saying, because I said so. You know, they'll tell their child what to do, and if their child asks a question or disagrees, they're talking back and they're in trouble. The parent believes they're talking back and gets them in trouble and will punish them. They do have very clear rules and they do enforce the rules, but they're often almost extreme in the ways they enforce them. So authoritarian parents are very punitive, and they're also very emotionally distant. They don't want to know what their child thinks about it. Child has to deal with it, because that's how it is, and I'm in charge, because I said so. I'm big, you're little. I always think of that uh, Matilda quote when I think about authoritarian parents. You know, I'm big, you're little... No, I'm big, I'm strong, you're weak, whatever it is. I can't recall it right now, but you know the one, I'm sure. So she speaks a lot towards these parents and chastises them for neglecting a child's rights 
And I really love how she advocates for children, but I will read her quotes um, right now, actually. She says, quote, Never were the rights of man so disregarded as in the case of the child. No worker has ever blindly had to follow orders, as must the child. The child, as a separate entity with different needs to satisfy in order to attain the highest ends of life, has never been taken into consideration. He is seen as a weak being, supported by adults, never as a human being, without rights, oppressed by adults. Unquote. So I really appreciate her child advocacy here, because while society is a little kinder to children in these days, in a lot of regards, children are second-class citizens. And it is understandable that sometimes this is for their own safety. You know, some, you know, if a child can't differentiate between when it is safe to walk into a road and when it is not, then yes, the parent must make that decision for them and must be held responsible for that in every way. But I have always, since the time I was young, been frustrated that teenagers have little to no legal rights simply because a teenager is quite capable of making their own decisions and understanding the consequences. And yet a parent is always allowed to override that. And I just question the fairness of that. Anyhow, so what I'm saying is I agree with Maria Montessori here. Very often our children, of all ages, are oppressed by adults. And so that is something to consider when we approach our children, is to remember that they are human beings with rights and needs, and how can we, as parents, respect those rights and needs? Now, on the other side of this, uh, she does talk about how, you know, abandoning the child is also not the answer. She does not condone what we call permissive parenting. But she does not speak very often to that, so there aren't many quotes for that. I don't have any today. But let's talk about permissive parenting for a moment. Permissive parenting is a parent who is a doormat for their children. They don't really have any expectations for how a child should behave. All behavior and is responded to with, well, kids are just like that. And so they really struggle with creating rules and enforcing rules. They very often, you know, bribe their children and can't seem to quite get any control over their children. They very much want to be friends with their children, and they're so focused on being friends with their children, they don't know when to enforce appropriate limits. So that is a permissive parent. And Maria Montessori does not condone that. She just has a one-liner where she says, essentially, that naturally she's not implying you shouldn't excuse me, what is the word I'm looking for? Discipline your children. Um, of course you should discipline your children. And then she just kind of moves on. So we're not really going a lot into that. We're going to talk about authoritative parenting today, because that was really something I got out of this book. She did condemn authoritarian parenting a lot, but she off she would stop and say permissive parenting is also not the way. And this is modern vernacular. She didn't use those terms. 
But in essence, she was arguing for authoritative parenting, where a parent is able and willing to differentiate between appropriate and non-appropriate behavior, to redirect and limit inappropriate behavior, and to support appropriate behavior. But simultaneously while respecting the child's desires, needs, and wants as an individual human. So this is what we call authoritative parenting. And authoritative parents have expectations for their children's behavior, and they enforce rules. So they have a little bit of both permissive and authoritarian to find out the balance. You know, extremes are never good in life on either side. So authoritative parenting's in the middle. And they like to talk with their children a lot. You know, why did you do that? Here, you know, if you do this, here is the consequence. They're very consequence-oriented instead of punishment-oriented. Um, we don't seek to punish our children for bad behavior. We seek to teach them and discipline them. And we do that through consequences. That's how authoritative parents are. Now, if you'd like to learn more about these parenting styles, a quick Google search of parenting styles will teach you all about these three and another, uh, a fourth one. I'm not addressing that one today, as it largely concerns neglectful parents. And if you're listening to this podcast, it is unlikely you are a neglectful parent. Um, but if you'd like to research that more, there are plenty of good resources online. The reference I use today is from Parenting at Home, if you would like to check that one. But there are certainly others, and they more or less tell you the same thing. So continuing with my review of this book here, some further quotes. Quote, to be there, that is the point, unquote. Essentially saying, you know, being there for our children is very important. They need to know that we're there for them when they fail or when they need encouragement. But they also need the freedom to do what they would like to do. So that's the authoritative part. And then she talks also about how, um, she talks again to authoritarian parents, about when we discipline our kids. And not only authoritarian parents fall into this, many parents see their child misbehaving and are worried about it. We worry that it's something that will continue into their adult lives or that they'll offend someone. And very often these are actually just normal, developmentally appropriate behaviors that we can take a deep breath and let go and know that our child will grow out of them. And it is simply part of their development and they're learning something from it or expressing something. And so for these things, Maria Montessori says, quote, The adult assumes in such cases that by punishing a child, he is correcting the child's defects. But clearly it is useless to correct defects that the child will no longer have when he is an adult. At least we ought to recognize that such defects will finally disappear and that they are not worth worrying about. When we begin to accept this approach to the child, we begin to understand many things and to love the child with little peccadillos that, will one day, that he will one day lose as a complex, rational adult. Unquote. This is actually one of the many reasons why I love the Montessori method, is that she encourages us as parents and teachers, parents for this podcast, to understand our child's development and to accept it and embrace it. We can relax and let a lot of things go when we're not worried about 
you know, say when they'll hit the next milestone or if they're on target or if they're following. No, but we just understand, we learn about child development. We understand how the progression works and that every child will get there at their own pace. And when we know what to look for, we can relax and we can let things go. We don't need to worry that our six-month-old is not playing independently yet because that's normal and we should just enjoy that our child still wants our company as much as they do. Isn't that sweet of babies? You know. So I appreciate this method for really allowing parents to de-stress. And my quote for this one, actually, she mentions this quote, We must believe in all the good that lies in the child and prepare ourselves to recognize it with loving concern. Only in this fashion will we gradually begin to assess the child correctly. Unquote. So Maria Montessori really believed that man and children are inherently good and that if we are looking for that goodness and looking for the ways in which they are sincerely trying, it is a lot easier to love them and a lot easier to assist them correctly. When we understand that a child isn't making a mess to make a mess, but is making a mess in an attempt to explore the environment, or receive sensory stimulation, or whatever it may be when we recognize that, then we can stop and provide that environment for him instead in an appropriate manner, redirect him, so that we're not losing our minds, but they're able to meet their need. It is much, much easier to deal with our children. So moving on to point number two, she talks a lot in this book about how to build the Montessori environment. Um, so, quote, the teacher must watch over and carefully arrange the surroundings. How much simpler this is than commanding and admonishing, unquote. This is so true. And this is actually true for adults as well. There is an aspect for the psychology of human behavior where we actually, all, all humans, allow their environment to control their choices. So, if you look at behavioral scientists, if you do some research into that, you can learn a lot about how to influence your own behavior and also how to, you know, in turn influence your behavior of children because it's a human tendency of all age. So for example, if you have a really hard time with buying things online, you're a compulsive spender, there are a lot of things you can do to stop that habit. One is to make sure that your internet can never save your credit card information. Because having to type it in every time makes it more annoying. And once it's more annoying, you're a lot less likely to do it. Same with you can hide your credit card from yourself or put it in a difficult to reach spot. Suddenly it becomes a lot harder to make that default choice and you're a lot less likely to do it. So that's one example of the ways in which our environment controls us and how if we can control our environment, we can control ourselves. You might also think of maybe someone who has a recovered alcoholic. If they go to a bar with their friends, the odds are very likely that they will relapse and begin drinking because they've set themselves in an environment where it's easy to do. So yes, I find this very interesting. 
But when we're applying it to our children, we need to think about ways to control the environment. It is a lot harder to tell your child, don't touch that, stop that, come here. I like to be constantly controlling them and their behavior because they're their own individuals with their own free will and autonomy and choices. You can't control another person. You can't control another adult. I don't know why you think you can control your children. They're people too, with their own autonomy. So instead, it's a lot simpler to look at the environment. If I don't want you to get into my CDs, where can I put them so that you cannot reach them? You know, I've asked you to stop hitting me, so I am going to move over here and I am going to set up a punching bag. And you may hit the punching bag. And suddenly, it's a lot easier to change those choices, the behaviors. Furthermore, though, she talks a lot about some of the key elements of Montessori, which is one, to have child-sized furniture. Two, that it is beautiful and attractive. And three, that there's a lot of control of error. If the child can see that it is messy, the child will learn to be tidy and to clean up their messes. If it is loud every time they move it, they learn to be more adept with their movements. So here are some quotes for the environment. Quote, There must also be a certain number of fragile objects, glasses, plates, vases, and so forth. Now certainly adults will exclaim, How come put glasses in the hands of three- and four-year-old children? They will surely break them. By this comment, they place more importance on the glass than on the child. An object worth a few cents seems more precious than the physical training of their children. Unquote. This is something that a lot of people are surprised at in Montessori, is that we give breakable items to children. And the reason being that if a child breaks an object, the natural consequence is that that object is gone forever which is very heartbreaking to a child, especially if they were fond of it. And so by doing this, we allow the environment to teach the child. We allow the natural consequences to teach the child. And the child learns he must be gentle and careful with his objects or they will break. Which I think is just ingenious. And she does have a point. I looked the other day and you can get small glass plates at Target for $2 each. Not to mention things you can find at the dollar store. And while it is understandable to be a little more selective which objects you give to, you know, a baby because you don't want them to hurt themselves, a toddler, if they break something, can learn to clean it up with your help, and they're a lot less likely to hurt themselves if with proper direction and education. And even with young babies, when possible, we like to give them real breakable objects. I gave my baby a glass, shot glass, because they're quite sturdy. They're not meant to break. But at the same time, that gave him a lot of useful feedback when he was learning how to drink water. And I do believe if he threw it off his high chair enough times, it might possibly have broken. But it wouldn't have broken in a way that would have harmed him, since he would have been in his high chair. 
Anyhow, so these things are very important in the Montessori method. So when we talk about the Montessori environment for the child, we need to remember to think about things from the child's perspective. The furniture needs to be light and easy to move. The pictures need to be hung at the child's eye level. The furniture should be beautiful and lightly colored so that any marks made on it can be seen and washed. Um, it's okay if they make noise because children will learn, become more self-aware of their own movements. And we need to think from the child's perspective when we're designing spaces for them. As much as possible, we want to give the children the opportunity to do everything for themselves. A wash basin, if we cannot get a little sink for the child, we might get them a wash basin so that they can reach to wash their own hands without you needing to constantly do it for them or lift them up to the sink. Children are seeking to build themselves and learn basic skills, and as much as possible, we want to provide that environment for them. You give them a children's bed instead of a crib so that they learn to get in and out by themselves. And so on. And, you know, obviously as children, this is most important for young children. And most of Montessori's work was designed for children between three and six. But she does, in fact, have theories for children of different ages. Um, so it is still worth uh, using the Montessori method, even if your children are older. Um, but yes, as children get older, adult furniture fits them better and it becomes less critical. But here is why children's size furniture is important. Quote, All those lovely, useful things will procure for her a new life, a real life, the only life that can make her happy and help her to grow in a natural way. Unquote. So with the Montessori method, we really believe in giving children the opportunity to do things on their own, to live their life. This isn't a pretend fake life that they're living. This is their real life right now. I was always frustrated as a child that I was expected to wait until I was grown up to do things because my life didn't start when I turned 18 or when I turned 12 or anything else. My life was already existing. And I think most children feel the same, if not all of them. They want that to be respected. They are living their life now and we need to give them the opportunity to live it instead of constantly only allowing them to pretend. You know, I find it funny because while my child does enjoy playing with the play kitchen and, you know, play grocery things, he'll only engage with it for a few minutes because when I go grocery shopping, I let him help me with it. And he doesn't need to pretend because he already has the opportunity to do it for real. And he has that need met through real means. And so really, you think of this as saving money. Instead of spending all your money buying fake toys, you can continue about your life and rather include your child in your life, providing them those real opportunities. And that's another thing that Maria Montessori talks a lot about, uh, talks a lot about in this book is how important it is that we include the child with everything the adult is doing. The child just has a deep need to be included and respected, and they want to participate in the adult's life. And indeed, she says, how 
she says, how is a child supposed to learn a skill if he's never exposed to it? A child would not learn how to speak if he never heard language. So how can we expect a child to learn how to cook or clean if we never allow them to engage with us while we cook and clean and expose them to that? And many other skills that you might have, you can actually consider it passing on skill wealth by giving your child the opportunity to observe what you know how to do and to practice those things. And this is true throughout the lifespan of a child, not just with young children. So I have many quotes here for the parent as a guide to the child, but I'm running out of time on this episode. So, quote, the one who creates is the child, we do not, unquote. A key component of the Montessori method is that we allow the child to create themselves and we support them in that development. Quote, the adult must remain quite passive and never intervene in any blind or in, a, in or, excuse me, in any blind or inopportune ways, so that he avoids becoming a destructive force. We can do nothing but wait for this inner life to organize itself. We must, however, encourage in ourselves every means of comprehending the process of development. If we were to establish a principle, it would be that what is necessary is the child's participation in our lives. For in that period in which he must learn to act, he cannot learn well if he does not see how, just as he could not learn language if he were deaf. To extend to the child this hospitality, that is, to allow him to participate in our lives, is difficult, but costs nothing. It depends solely on the emotional preparation of the adult. The fundamental educational concept is that must not become obstacles to the development of the child. We must think of what actually happens to the child and what we must do by way of satisfying him. But to achieve this end, it is necessary to prepare the parents. The second principle is this, we must support as much as possible parent. But also, this quote here, not wait on him. I wonder if that is often misinterpreted in Montessori communities. What she is saying here is to wait on someone, as in to wait hand and foot on someone as in to serve them. What she is saying is that we must support the child as they attempt to develop themselves, as they desire to do things. We must provide them those opportunities and respect those desires and not do it for them. Her example is when a child first learns to eat, first time as a baby, rather than spoon-feeding your child, you should give your child the spoon. And yes, it's messy, and we have a natural instinct against our things being ruined and getting messed up. But what will happen is your child will learn from the mess they create, they will learn from practice, they will learn coordination, and eventually they will be able to feed themselves without making a mess. And when they're able to do that, what a triumph it is for them. 
And you have allowed it to happen by respecting their need to build themselves. You know, almost instantly when you start trying to feed a baby, they'll reach for the spoon and try to use it themselves. And yes, it's a mess. Expect it. Prepare for it. Embrace it. Our life is a lot easier when we are prepared for the things our children will do and we embrace them as we discussed earlier. Anyway, sometimes in Montessori communities, I think parents are teachers' communities. We misinterpret this quote as waiting as in time. On time. You, you shouldn't wait for your child to be ready to do something. You should just introduce it and teach them to be independent. Children should be independent as quickly as possible, and we need to rush them and not wait for them to do it on their own. That is not what she means. I think this is probably a uniquely American interpretation because American culture places a high value on independence. But rather, we need to understand that children do depend on their on their parents for a long time. And we respect that because we are not forcing the child to learn independence. We are supporting the children's independent choices and choices for for independence. We're supporting their development on their time scale. And we're not trying to rush them through or force them to grow up. We don't take a six-month-old and wonder how come they can't, how come they're not independent and competent. Because isn't that what Montessori is all about? Well, it's not. So, I did want to clarify that. Another important quote is about, it touches upon emotional development, which I discussed in a previous episode. Um, She's talking about a baby who experiences something unpleasant and how they responded to her. They simply responded by, yes, that was unpleasant, in essence, and then they all moved on and the baby was okay, having been acknowledged. So what she says about this, I think she says quite eloquently and is quite important. Quote, we never said to her, it's nothing, when she said she had experienced something unpleasant. We accepted her unpleasant experience and sought to console her tenderly without placing undue emphasis on what had happened. Something unpleasant, it's nothing, serves to confuse him because it negates an impression of his own for which he sought confirmation. Our participation, on the other hand, gives him the courage to encounter other experiences and, at the same time, shows him how to relate to them. They must not be denied or talked about too much or analyzed too deeply. A tender and affectionate word is the only consoling response. And this is quite true. When something upsetting happens to a child, we name it, we identify it, we engage with their experience, and when they feel heard and understood, They feel capable of moving on. They're supported in that development. And so I really love how she talks about how the child experiences and we reflect their experience and support them in that experience. This is true for all of their learning, but it's particularly true for emotional awareness. Here are some further quotes on how to guide our children. Quote, our goal is not so much the imparting of knowledge as the unveiling and developing of spiritual energy. Unquote. So one of the reasons why I love the Montessori method is that we're not 
spewing information into our children's minds. They're not sponges. They're not textbooks waiting to be filled. They are, they are in fact, sponges. But they're not textbooks waiting to be filled. Rather, and this is true for your whole life experience, life is about choosing what direction you're taking and learning how to, to do that, to, to take that choice, to build it, to create your own life. And when we focus on just filling brains with knowledge, very often our, our children and youth do not know how to live their lives. And I think this is why so many youth are coming of age without what we call adulting skills these days. Because they weren't taught how to choose a life path and pursue it. They were taught how to memorize facts. And is it any wonder that we're seeing increasing rates of depression and anxiety as people have failed to learn how to live their real lives? And this is one of the really important things that I love about Montessori, is we teach our children to live their real life from a very young age, and we, we help them develop that. Moving on. Quote, The teacher never encourages this tranquility with words, but with her own quiet sureness. Unquote. I've included that one just as a reminder that our children learn through our own example, and everything we do is a lesson to the child. We must constantly show an example to them. So one of the tricks I learned from this book is if you want your young child to engage in an activity, you sit down and do it yourself. And after a minute or two, or less even, they'll come watch, they'll come see and watch. They'll be very interested in what you're doing. And then you can say, oh, would you like a turn? And they probably will. And then they've engaged in an activity without you having to sit them down and try to give them a lesson. The le you were the lesson. And that's an important Montessori tool. Uh, that I'd like to share. It's also just a very helpful parenting tool. It's a lot easier to do that than try to sit your child down and help them understand the task. Moving on. Quote, When the child is attentive to his great work, she must respect the, f the fact and not disturb him with either praise or correction. The respect for the child's activity, which we call non-intervention, is justifiable only when something substantial has already intervened in his life. The respect is not justified when the child's good energies are dispersed in disorder. Unquote. So two things here. One, we can interrupt our children both through trying to correct them, constantly trying to show them, actually this way, do it like this, no, you're doing it all wrong. Anytime we try to correct our child, they lose confidence and interest. But also, you can interrupt them by praising them. Oh, what a good job you're doing. That does distract them, and they will break their concentration. And I'm guilty of this quite a lot, so... Try with me, I suppose. Let's both work on... Let's all work on when we see our children concentrating. Not to interrupt them, even with positive feedback. Wait till they're finished. Then you may give them feedback. And that was one. And the second is that, again, she talks about when we respect children's concentration. We don't need to respect them destroying materials. We can stop and intervene and redirect them into constructive things. Anyhow, um, that is all my favorite moments from this book. Some final thoughts. Quote, I would give one simple piece of advice to every mother. 
Let your three- and four-year-old children wash themselves, undress themselves, and eat by themselves exactly as they want to. Unquote. So if you ever wondered what Maria Montessori's advice was to parents, that's it. Right there. Stop trying to control your children and little things. Let them do things how they'd like to. They're learning that way. Quote, If we would only consider how absolute and urgent the requirements of childcare are, we would perform a great service for the good of humanity. Unquote. I included this one because I really want you as a parent to understand how important your role is in your child's life. There is nothing more important you could do for your child than to recognize that role and fill it. Your brain, a child's brain continues developing exponentially within the first three years and even up the first five or six years because we're born with underdeveloped brains and all of the material they're getting up until that point is building their brains and it sets them up for the rest of their lives. And as a society, I think we really do a disservice to all of our members of our families, our parents and our children, when we don't recognize how important that role of a parent is and that relationship between a parent and a child is. I wish I could change society so that parents and children could be together all day and work to earn their living. The parents can work and the children can watch and assist or play as they desire, but the family's a, a unit that's together. I would love to see that. It makes me really sad that so many children are without their parents because because their parents need to earn a living. Why have we decided to design society this way? <laughs> anyway, I wanted to emphasize to you as the parent that your job is so important, and in any way that you can, adjust your lifestyle to be there for your child would make a world of difference for the rest of their life. And I want you to know that everything that you are doing for your child is so critically important. And you're doing a great job with all of your efforts. You really are tr trying your best. And that matters. You matter. What you've done today matters. I think we're very hard on ourselves as parents. But we are all doing our best with what we have. And if you're listening to this podcast, I should hope that you're trying to improve and learn more and do more. So kudos to you, and be, be generous with yourself and with those around you. And to close out, I would like to end with, quote, Man must construct himself, and in the end, possess himself and direct himself, unquote. Our children belong to themselves, and we love them and support them and guide them but we must let them live their own life and make their own choices. Because when they are grown, they must continue doing so without our guidance. So enjoy this moment as a parent, because it's only going to be here now, and it is important, and you are doing your own job. 
If you would like to buy this book, The Child and the Family, it is $8 on Amazon Kindle. I'm not being sponsored to tell you this. I just wanted you to know if you'd like to read it, you can do that. I have a donations page up, coffee.com slash preparedparentpodcast. That is ko-fi.com slash preparedparentpodcast. If you would like to donate, all the donations just go to me buying a new Montessori book to read and review for you, to share the quotes and the theory with you. Just a one-time purchase, any amount you would like to put towards it. If you like this podcast, of course, it's completely optional. I'm currently not monetizing the podcast because I would like this information to be freely available to all parents. But if you would like to support that, you're welcome to. Also, I have started a Facebook page, The Prepared Parent Podcast. I will put the link in the show notes. And if you'd like to join me there, you can give me your comments, ask your questions, or for advice. And I would love to respond to you. Thank you so much for listening and bearing with me as I went extra long today. Have a wonderful day, and I hope you listen next time. Goodbye.